You are listening to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. Our vision is to treasure Christ above all else and live for more. I'd like to greet you all. Good morning, church family. It's so good to be with you all this morning. How many of you are looking forward to some, thir- uh, some turkey this Thanksgiving? Thirk turkey. Yeah, winter holidays are right around the corner, but I hate to remind you that the snow, ice, and cold weather uh, is also part of that. Uh, but maybe climate change could cause us to have a mild winter. You never know. Sorry, guys. I had to wake you up this morning. We find ourselves in the book of James. How many of you are enjoying this book so far? Anybody? How many of you have learned something or have been challenged in some way? I know I have. It's very easy in our culture to profess Christianity, but the reality is there are some tests for the genuine believer. This verifies that we are the genuine article and gives us a greater assurance of our salvation. Now, we find ourselves in chapter 3, verse 13 of James. Okay. This is where I need a little participation from the audience. Can you guys handle that? Can someone name some of the tests we've covered so far in James? Anybody? Okay. Rejoice in trials. Good. Huh? Steadfast through trials. Rejoice in trials. Good. I'm sorry? Taming the tongue, good. That was last week, perfect. Good, that's a good one. Partiality, good. Uh, Faith without works is dead. How about doers of the word, not hearers only? Okay, that's a a good one. Are we swift to to hear, slow to speak? Um, Does our faith produce works? Finally, as we learned last week, as we said earlier, tame the tongue. As Pastor Ovi put it last week, only God can tame our tongue. I find it interesting that Jesus touched a man's tongue. You guys remember that story? Um, It's Mark 7.32, and this is the quotation. And they brought to him uh, a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Isn't this the perfect illustration of what God the Son has done for us in our lives? We were deaf, we had no ears to hear his word, and our tongue did not speak righteous things. But one touch from our Lord, and he gave us ears to hear. Faith comes by hearing, and a tongue that now praises God, if indeed we have been born from above. Before we get into our text this morning, I'd like to begin by asking help from the author who wrote it. So let's bow our heads um, for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we are overjoyed this morning that we get to read and listen to the very words that come from you. I'm completely helpless when it comes to your word and need your help today to open ears and open hearts. I pray that the Spirit of God would use the word of God to reveal the Son of God in this text. Then I pray that we would apply this text to our lives today to grow and pursue wisdom that is from above. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 
So the first point, I'd like to invite everyone to stand out of respect for God's word and to kind of get the blood flowing a little bit. Um, we're going to pick up James 3.13 and then just follow along. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Amen. So you may be seated. Thanks. Uh, so the first question we must ask is how does James connect the previous 12 verses that we talked about last week about the tongue and this week about wisdom? Some people might question, is James exhibiting some ADHD here or what? He talks about the tongue, now it's wisdom. Well, the answer is very simple. He is connecting wisdom in a sense of oratory or speaking wisdom. You see that in that day, Jewish and Greek philosophers would gather in the town square and present speeches to the public. They equated wisdom with the ability to talk on weighty matters for hours on end or engage in rhetorical arguments and debate or twisting the meaning of words and turn them to their advantage. James moves his focus to those in the church who try to show their wisdom and spiritual maturity simply with impressive words. Talking the talk, but not walking the walk. And speaking of twisting words, it reminds me of a story of an old man who had no friends except his doctor, his pastor, and his lawyer. Just before he died, he asked these men to gather around him at his bedside. The old man starts his final words by saying, I've always heard you can't take it with you, but I'm determined to disprove that theory. He said, I have $90,000 under my mattress. And when I die, just before they throw dirt on me at my burial, I want you each to toss in an envelope with $30,000 each into my grave. The three attended the funeral and each threw his envelope into the grave. On uh, one, on the way back from the cemetery, uh, I'm sorry, on the way back from the cemetery, the pastor said, I must confess, I needed $10,000 for my new church, so I only threw in 20. The doctor then said, I must confess also, I needed $20,000 for my new hospital. Um, so I only threw in 10. The lawyer looked up at them both. He shook his head and said, gentlemen, I'm surprised, shocked and ashamed of you. I don't see how you could dare go against that man's final wish. I'll have you know, I threw in my personal check for the full amount. <laughs> that is to illustrate the wisdom that the church was used to. And I wonder how many of you saw that coming? This actually brings us to our first point this morning, wisdom walks. Verse 13, and I think for um, note or D group purposes, it would be helpful to kind of highlight in your Bible hub or your Bible 
um, and separate these three points because they're very useful in kind of separating the text out. Verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in meekness of wisdom. The wisdom that James is talking about here doesn't just know the right words to say, but actually does the right works in an attitude of humbleness. I could think of no greater example of walking in humble wisdom than Christ Jesus. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. Isaiah 11, one through three, speaking about the qualities of Christ. Did you catch that? What wisdom, knowledge, and understanding comes? Fear the Lord. We begin our wisdom walk by fearing the Lord as Christ did. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdoms, uh, wisdom according to Proverbs 9.10. The next step on our wisdom walk is humbleness. Again, there's no greater example than Christ. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He possessed all wisdom and chose to humble himself to take upon himself voluntarily the walk of a human being. Eventually, this walk led to the cross where the Son of God was pierced through his hands and feet for our transgressions. This wisdom from heaven was not just words, but deeds. Therefore, Christ is our example. Let us show our works in an attitude of fearing the Lord in humbleness a practical application of wisdom can simply be to humbly point others to the source of wisdom. That is Christ. As someone put it, knowledge is proud that she has learned so much. Wisdom is humble that she knows no more. Let's move on to the second point. After James admonishes us to walk out our wisdom, he begins to teach by comparison, much like the book of Proverbs. You see in Proverbs, you will get a negative and a positive statement. Take, for example, Proverbs 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Here is a clear example of teaching by comparison, a positive and negative. He compares a wise man and a fool. Back to our text. We see that James compares worldly wisdom with godly wisdom, which goes really well with my notes because that's the next two points. Worldly wisdom, which is the second point. Verse 14, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. The worldly wise man in verse 14 is characterized by bitter envy and selfish ambition in his heart. His one passion in life is to advance his own interests. He is jealous of any competitors and ruthless in dealing with them. He is proud of his wisdom that has brought success. 
But James says, this isn't wisdom at all. Such boasting is empty. It is a practical denial of the truth that the man who is truly wise is truly humble. The wisdom that seeks self-exaltation is not from above, but James lists three progressions of this wisdom. At first, it is earthly. That speaks generally of the things of this earth. Um, Think animals and instincts. They aren't necessarily bad and have their place, but are rooted in the earthly realm. Eating, sleeping, survival can also be some examples. Next is unspiritual, or in some translations, even sensual. That is a human that has forgotten God in his thoughts. He does not produce the fruits of the spirit, but the fruits of the flesh. Imagine a man seeking after earthly pleasures, um, a drug addict looking for his next fix. And finally, it comes to the bottom of the downward spiral, demonic. Um, The demonic wisdom includes all types of evil, hatred, destruction, violence, pride, and the list can go on. Additionally, James says that where this jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil practice. This makes me think, if Christ is our perfect example of godly wisdom, what's the example of worldly wisdom? Anyone want to throw a a guess out? That's good. If you guess Satan, you are absolutely correct. Isaiah 14, 12, and I'll just quote this. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of the dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit in the mountain of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol to the far reaches of the pit. This perfectly shows the worldly demonic wisdom of Satan. Can you imagine a created being far superior to us, but far um, inferior to God, thinking and saying that he will be equal to God? I'll spare you the details from Ezekiel, but in chapter 28, it is revealed that there was a day that violence was found in Satan, and it had to do with his trade or position as the covering cherub. This position of angel cherub covered or protected the mercy seat of God as revealed by the Ark of the Covenant that had two cherubs that had wings outstretched over the mercy seat. Some have suggested that this violence that we talked about, um, is uh, basically doing something by, by force Uh, that is unique to Satan is that he actually tried to sit on God's throne. Um, If that's not selfish ambition, I don't know what is. Whatever the case, Satan's downfall caused the world to be plunged into confusion and every vile practice. Godly wisdom, third point. Since we've talked about the walking wisdom and worldly wisdom, we come to our final point, godly wisdom. Verse 17, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. At this point, I like to look at the the quality of this wisdom. James says that the wisdom from above is pure. In thought, word, and deed, it is clean. 
in spirit and body, in doctrine and practice, in faith and morals. It is undefiled. The thought of purity is not being mixed with evil. What fellowship does light have with darkness, Paul says? It is not unevenly yoked together. It is completely opposite of what the world, world's wisdom is today. The world generally has adopted the mentality that light and dar- darkness must coexist and you cannot have light without darkness. The Bible says that our heavenly father is light and in him there is no darkness. Let us strive to be like our father above, pure. Next, James says, this wisdom is peaceable. This simply means that a wise man loves peace and will do all he can to maintain peace without sacrificing purity. This peace leaves out and grows, I'm sorry, lives out and grows from our assurance that Christ has made peace on our behalf with the Father. Our cup runneth over, as the psalmist says, and because we have peace through the cross of Christ, we can have peace that passes all understanding regardless of circumstance. Gentleness is a quality that is totally lacking in our world today. Men boast and strive to be aggressive in climbing the social and financial ladder. If only we had more gentleness on our roads as road rage incidents have been increasing in our country. In fact, this is a true story. Uh, Just last month, there was an incident in which two men began shooting at each other um, while driving, only hitting both of their daughters in the car. So one daughter was like 14 and one was like seven and they hit their, their own daughters and they had to stop and it was just a big scene. They're both like going to jail or something. Terrible. Gentleness implies a a kind heart and a person that is easy to approach and open up to. A gentle response can make one feel safe instead of a brutal correction. Godly wisdom is open to reason and correction. Proverbs 9, 8 through 9. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. Godly wisdom is open to learning more and being corrected because he knows he will be wiser still. The foolish hate correction. In fact, it's popular today to say my truth and your truth. The word truth has become relative in our culture, making it even harder to reason with others. Godly wisdom is full of mercy and good fruits. When we have become wise unto salvation and see the mercy of God, we cannot help but to be merciful to others. As the saying goes, no one has wronged you as much as you've wronged Christ. Yet for Christ's sake, he had mercy on his enemies. While we were yet sinners, therefore we cannot help to have mercy when we've been given so much of it, and it spills out onto others, leading to good fruits. Godly wisdom is impartial and sincere. If you recall, James addressed partiality in chapter two, and he echoes this point. This wisdom does not show favoritism because whether Jew or Greek, free or slave, male or female, we are all one in Christ Jesus. We are all made in the image of God, and all have eternal value. We must treat people without favorites as much as it is possible. Additionally, this wisdom is sincere. This means it does not pretend to be something it's not. 
Friends, this is quite a list if you ask me. May I say that we all need improvements in at least some of these areas. Let's look at the final verse. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This verse is a connecting link between what we have been discussing and what is to follow. We have just learned that true wisdom is peace-loving. In the next chapter, we find conflict among God's people. Here, we are reminded that life is like the farming process. We have a farmer, the wise man who is the peacemaker, the climate, which is peace, and the harvest that he's working for, which is righteousness. The farmer wants to raise a harvest of righteousness. Can this be done in an atmosphere of quarrels or bickering? Now, imagine trying to sow seeds in a hurricane. That wouldn't make much sense. No, the sowing must take place under peaceful conditions. It must be done by those who are of a peaceful disposition. A harvest of uprightness will be produced in their own lives and the lives of those whom they minister. Once again, James has put our faith on trial, this time with regard to the type of wisdom we manifest every day in, in our everyday life. We must ask ourselves, do I respect the proud men of this world more than the humble believer in the Lord Jesus? Do I serve the Lord without caring who gets the credit? Or do I sometimes use questionable means in order to get good results? Um, am I guilty of flattery in order to influence people? Do I harbor jealousy and resentment in my heart? Do I resort to sarcasm and unkind remarks? Am I pure in thought, in speech, and in morals? My friends, these are very personal questions that strike us at the very heart of our faith. Is it being wisely lived out? I want us to remember these questions and really meditate on them this week. At this point, you may have noticed I've run out of verses. And I'd like to conclude with a bonus on wisdom, the content of wisdom, specifically God's wisdom. Let's turn our Bibles to 1 Corinthians 1, 18 to 31. And I just couldn't help myself but to include this. We'll kind of see the perspective of Paul in the content of wisdom. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, 
so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom from God. I'm sorry, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Wow. Paul lifts the veil and reveals that the wisdom of God is found in the message or preaching of the gospel. And as you've heard earlier, um, right before I stepped up, as Pastor Ovi was saying, let us focus on the gospel. Well, sometimes it's important to take a second to remind ourselves what is the content of the gospel. We can't focus on something that we don't know or else it just becomes pious speak. The preaching of this message is foolishness to the world, but it is the source and foundation of our salvation. Did you ever think about the contents of the gospel and the foolish sounding nature of it from the perspective of an unbeliever? The message, and see if you guys are convinced, is believe in a homeless Jew that was condemned to a Roman cross 2,000 years ago. Believe also that this man rose from the dead three days later and you'll have forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with God. It's a hard sell. This in a nutshell is what we believe, but do you see how the world can miss this completely? The world hears that and it just sounds foolish to them. So they seek the meaning of life in another place. They invest their money in telescopes and microscopes and rockets, thinking they can solve it like an equation. The wisdom of God is that the truth cannot be observed or solved. It must be revealed through his word and given life by his spirit. Next, Paul tears down where wisdom is thought to be found in, in a library or some philosopher. Yet this is foolishness in the eyes of God. It pleased God to save people who would believe a foolish sounding message because they are trusting the source. They are trusting that it is the power of God unto salvation. Next, Paul contrasts the Jews and Gentile unbelieving world. The Jews seek after a sign to believe. And there are others I'm sure you've heard that have said, I'll only believe if God himself would step into my room and prove it. I'm here to tell you if God did that, then it would be self-evident. Uh, because what we have seen no longer requires belief. What about Gentiles? They were always debating and trying to outdo one another. Uh, they want to endlessly hear new messages that sound lofty. The Bible is so up to date because even today, people will believe anything as long as they hear according to a new study, which is true. I, I saw that. According to a new study, you say whatever you want, people will believe it thinking that the new thing is truth until it becomes outdated. Paul has just finished talking about the exclusivity of the wisdom of God in that it is the preaching of the cross. We cannot budge on this message. If we have truly become wise unto salvation, we hear the contrary thing being said today. There are many paths up the mountain, but they all reach the same peak. Some will say, yet the wisdom of God says, no, John 14, six, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father, but through me on top of being exclusive in the content, the gospel, it's also inclusive, available to all, all that believe can come to Christ, Jews, 
religious, Greeks, fools, sinners, all that come to Christ through humility can receive eternal life through faith. Lastly, how do we as believers look to the outside world? Well, I have bad news. We don't look so good. It pleased God to call us that were forgotten, weak, poor, simple, as Paul says, to the gospel. That way in eternity, the boasting of the proud heart will be silenced once and for all. Those elite group of people that are rich and strong, high IQs and good looking, that trusting in their abilities and thought they didn't need anything of God, they have it all. Those that thought, I am good enough and God owes me heaven because I'm such a good person. Ultimately, they thought, I don't need Jesus. My friends, what a scary thought to think you are wise and find out that your thinking has caused you eternal loss. But what's the outcome for us? Because we have believed this gospel, the good news about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, Christ has been made wisdom unto us. At the moment we place genuine faith in Christ, he has indwelled us by his Holy Spirit, and now we can grow in the wisdom of Christ. That is from God our Father, We can read the Old Testament with the veil removed and see how everything was pointing to him. Righteousness by faith, sanctification, cleansing, purifying, and a hope for eternal and bodily redemption. I conclude this morning by admonishing us to boast. You say boasting is is prideful, but let our boast be in the Lord for what he has done in our lives. What he will do, and in fact, that we have the privilege to call him our father, to know and love him. And let's bow for a word of prayer. Thanks for tuning in to the Summit Church Garden City podcast. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you live for more.